0: Now let's move into, as we've been planning and promising, let's move into a study of Revelation 21, beginning at verse 9. And here we will speak of the city, the new Jerusalem, as it comes, or the great city, the Holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Let's begin with verse 9 of Revelation 21 and I want to read through the entire passage uh, through to... um, well, at least through uh, verse 14, perhaps at the beginning let's just set up the whole picture in one reading so we'll read from 9 to the end of the... uh, of 21 which would be verse 27 and then I'll come back and begin to unpack the specifics of it. As we do, I want to remind you of things that I've been saying in a repeating cycle as we go through uh, much of the book of Revelation and that is, you ought not to be surprised that most, many, if not most, of the symbols of the book of Revelation have occurred elsewhere in Scripture. But the pattern of these repeating cycles is that with each new reference it takes on greater mass and greater definition. But the principles we learn from the earliest references hold true all the way throughout these, these teachings and the mass that it acquires is, merely, is, is more what it looks like when the spiritual overtakes the natural and defines the natural in context of the spiritual. As I have said before, it's like when, when you look at a thing from 2D, it has a certain reality, two dimensions. When you look at the same thing from 3D or three dimensions, it includes all of 2D but with the additional dimensions you're able to understand more clearly and more thoroughly what it means that's in natural analyses. If you look at the same things from 4D which I would choose to view as the complete view or an eternal view, it'll contain all the elements of 3D, all the elements of 2D, they will not be negated uh, by the greater context of 4D, but 4D is the most complete vision available when you view things from an eternal point of view, it is the most complete vision of what is available. But in the process, you see, what you learn in 2D, what you learn in 3D is not violated, cast aside and made irrelevant, it is in there along with and consistent with what 4D brings by way of total illumination. With that said, let's read verse 9, Revelation 21 and it's the focus on the new Jerusalem. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride the Lamb's wife, and He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light- so He refers to the city as her- because he had previously referred to the city as the bride, the lamb's wife. Key and important uh, references. Having the glory of God, her light was like a precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, so on the gates names written, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates to the south and three gates to the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, which in modern parlance would be about 1380 miles. Yes, 1380 miles. To give context, if you're flying at in, in the normal flight path of an airplane, you're usually anywhere between five and eight miles up. So by contrast, this is 1380 miles in every direction. Its length, its breadth and its height are equal, it says in verse 17. In verse 16, then he measured its walls 140 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. Fascinating framing, isn't it? So here, man and angel are conflated. The construction of his wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the the third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, Sardius, the seventh, Chrysolite, the eighth, Beryl, the ninth, Topaz, the tenth, Chrysophase, the eleventh, Jacinth, and the twelfth, Amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city. Was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine, or to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their, honor, their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of nations into it. But there shall by no means enter in anything, there shall by no means enter in, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now let's go back and pick this apart. Clearly, If you read this from a purely two-dimensional perspective, there's a city with walls, gates, foundations and the measurements are mind-boggling and uh, uh, its location, the like of it has never been seen in the earth before and so on and so forth. And normally that's where most people are in their understanding of this passage, the New Jerusalem. So I want to take you back as we go through each of these pieces and look at the antecedents of this, of these things in other passages of Scripture. Now let's start with, "'Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife.' "'And he carried me away in the Spirit "'to a great and high mountain, "'and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was the light of a precious stone and so on. So immediately you have the conflation of a city and a woman and in this case the holy Jerusalem Descending out of heaven from God. Now, it's not the first time, it's not the first time that here in the book of Revelation that a woman and a city are conflated. Just over in Revelation 17, a woman and a city are conflated. This woman is called Babylon, she has a name written on her forehead and that name is Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. And in Revelation 19 there's a reference to the bride who makes herself ready and two women are juxtaposed. One is a true bride the other is a prostitute who behaves as a bride and they're both now conflated with the names of cities. Clearly he's not talking about a woman who is Babylon but rather a spirit known as Babylon that inhabits a woman who is the representation of a people on whom, it's, it was said, the, 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 this, she sits upon the oceans or she, si- she sits upon the seas and there the conflation of seas and people, turbulent people by the way, unsettled people, violent people, but nevertheless she sits on the seas. So the habit, of using the symbol of a woman to depict a vast number of people and not particularly a city. Because by now, of course, Babylon is an ancient city of ruins. What has survived of Babylon and what does that mean? Well, it's a spirit that has survived, just like how a woman is called Jezebel. It's not, that woman died a long time ago. She was the wife of Ahab, the king in the Old Testament. And yet, she's referred to, even here again in the book of Revelation, as a woman who is uncontrollable. The fact that it's a woman is not a definition of womankind any more than the description of the spirit of antichrist as a man is definitive of humankind who are males. So get over the idea the modern world has so tormented our thinking that we feel obligated to play a political game. Now personally, I don't feel any motivation to play a political game. I do not have to explain that when the scriptures speak of desperate and terrible women that it's a commentary on womankind as a whole just as when it speaks of abominable men uh, that it speaks of mankind as a whole. No, if that's where people are then that's their problem. I couldn't be bothered. This is not a political message, it's not a social message, this is a prophetic unveiling of the end of the age when nations are gathered together and when God Himself begins to assert the finality of His dominance and control over creation and any person who thinks their private agenda amounts to a hill of beans is as foolish and deranged as persons get. These messages are not meant for any kind of current choreography within the context of the social order of the day. These messages are meant to liberate the minds of people so that they may see the looming tidal wave that is coming. And if all they want to do is play on the beach and pretend that everything must go their way, then let them do that. Let the wicked be wicked still, but also let the righteous be righteous still. It is precisely because we have leadership that is like the wind, easily blown everywhere, that we have an apologetic, defensive leadership that ends up favoring the wrong things altogether and becoming irrelevant. There are voices that are speaking in the world today that are speaking for God and their authority and power is not dependent even slightly on the goodwill of any particular audience. Such voices are likely to be viewed as voices crying in the wilderness and they are not for mass consumption but they are for the light and illumination of those of the love for the truth. So cities have been labeled by the names of Terrible women, gross religious figures that destroy, that torment and destroy mankind, have on the other side been labeled with the names of men. We are to understand what is meant, and it has nothing to do with the gender of male or the gender of female, it has to do with something else. And if you're interested in that something else, come on with this study. But I am frankly tired of people who have such preset agendas of every kind, of every kind, you heard me, of every kind, set so preset agendas of every kind who cannot sit still to learn anything beyond what tickles their ear and confirms what they already believe. I am not here for that. Go somewhere else, if that's what you're looking for, because I'm speaking what God is saying and that's all I care to speak. If you like that, then learn something from it. If you hate it, then that's your problem, not mine, and it won't change even slightly the trajectory of what I'm saying. All right, I got that out of the way, the New Jerusalem adorned as a uh, set aside uh, and reference to the Lamb's wife. Always in Scripture, the reference to the bride of Christ is never a romantic ideal as in human sense of romantic ideals. So, it's not a sexual relationship. It is about that which carries the seed. Now, God views things not from the temporal, but from the eternal. And although there may be human attachments to the eternal, such as romance and, and um, you know, emotions of that kind, that's not, part, that's not a central or even a meaningful part of the divine references. The, the bride carries the seed with the intent of producing the offspring of God. God set up representation <coughs> within creation, So husbands represent Christ, wives represent the bride of Christ. In those representations, the husband is required to lay down his life for the wife and the wife is required to obey the husband because they are in a divine configuration, not in a human sociological one. If you superimpose human sociological conceits upon divine representations, you will inevitably miss the point and you will be no better for whatever outcomes your arguments produce societally, they'll have absolutely no value in terms of eternal things. Eternal things view all matters from the point of view of God, not from the point of view of human flesh, human rights, human preferences and such things. So in regards to that, the bride is the carrier of the seed and is therefore indispensable to the outcome of the husband. Adam had a bride who was taken out of him and she was equipped with the womb that carried the seed to fulfill the promise that God made to, Abraham, uh, to to Adam and subsequently gave that promise specifically to Abraham which was, "...in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." And more to the point that the seed of Adam through Eve, by attribution, would crush the head of the serpent. This is stripped down to an eternal reference and not laden with human sociological emotional preferences. So it is that the bride, the lamb's wife, is referred to as a city. In fact, it's not just a city, it's the great city Holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. This is clearly a reference that has uh, antecedents and we spoke about that before when we first introduced the idea of the New Jerusalem uh, in this teaching series when we started at verse twenty, uh, chapter 21 and at verse 1 women are referred to as cities because of their relational connections to authority. So this configuration is not necessarily a visible city. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Babylon was an actual city But in it was a spirit that opposed God. Jerusalem by name implied a city of peace. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not a physical thing. You can't see it, you don't say, Look, here is the kingdom or, look, there is the kingdom because the kingdom of heaven dwells within the spirits of just men made perfect. But it is observable as a defined way of life characterized by righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the entire kingdom is in the Holy Spirit and it's observable in the ones who represent it and yet it's a kingdom. Most kingdoms of the earth, in fact all other kingdoms of the earth, occupy geographic domains, meaning within a certain territory people are said to be subject to rulers who in one form or another are the sovereign. In the kingdom of God, it spans the whole earth, the kingdom does, in terms of the range of the rule of Christ and so does the New Jerusalem. It spans the whole earth and now when we see this Manifest this final manifestation on the new earth of the new of Jerusalem, the city of peace. Another word for the kingdom of heaven. Then its span is over the whole earth. So when it comes down to that place, and we haven't gotten there yet, when it talks about twelve thousand. Cubits or furlongs by 12,000 furlongs by 12,000 furlongs, 1380 to calculate that ancient measure in modern terms, uh, 1380 miles high, wide, and long. It's important to note that in the modern calculation, you've departed from the number 12 it's 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. The repeating of the number 12 and the additor of the number uh, 1,000 is meant to be a symbolic reference. 12 is the number of government, 1,000 is meant to speak of range and volume. In short, it's speaking about the presence of Christ and the saints upon the whole earth and the descriptors of foundations and precious stones are descriptions of the manner in which the glory of God is depicted for human consumption, the glory of God upon a people who occupy and dominate the whole earth because the earth in fact is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. As I come back to unpack this further, we'll, dwell, we'll delve into these particulars about this great city. I'm Sam Solon, and I'll see you then, bye now.